Luke, and our text is Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. Hear now, yet again, the precious word of God. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could it be who was going to do this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, by the power of your spirit that you would illuminate our hearts and minds so that we might understand it. Lord, we remember... As we're told in 1 Corinthians that the natural man does not accept the things of God, does not receive the things of God, and cannot understand them, for they are spiritually discerned. Lord, apart from your spirit, that we are doing nothing that has any efficacy. And so, Lord, we come and ask that your spirit would be present. Lord, that you would speak through me, that we each would become transparent mirrors through which we might see and behold the glory of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for much of my childhood, I I grew up with a certain amount of uh, fear and trepidation when it came to the Lord's Supper. I remember, uh, I have distinct moments where I remember being uh, concerned that I wasn't being reverent enough. However tightly I clasped my hands together, however low I bowed my head and shut my eyes, I was worried that I I just wasn't being solemn enough, that I wasn't being reverent enough, and that surely the Lord was looking down upon me with a frown for not approaching his table in the right manner. I can remember there were many times as a, as a child where I would allow the bread and the juice to pass by because I didn't feel worthy of taking them. I remember as well feeling very isolated from everyone else there. Even my own family, I, I felt that it was supposed to be a time of intense personal reflection, so much so that I often felt like I was on an island with God. Everybody else kind of disappeared. And again, God was looking down and was not pleased with me. Now, maybe some of you can relate to this, others not. But I think that this attitude that I had came in part because of some of the teaching which I had heard and received, which in some ways overemphasized the posture of reverence that we're to have in taking the Lord's Supper. Now, hear me say that reverence is indeed something that we ought to have when approaching the Lord's table. This is a holy thing that we're participating in. Here we spiritually but actually commune with Christ, and so it very much is something that we ought to approach with great reverence, and yet what I seem to have not been able to grasp as a child was that reverence can also be joyful. I do think that at times it's possible to overemphasize the reverence of the Lord's Supper to the point that it becomes, in the minds of 
the people that are partaking as well as their children in this case, kind of ritualistic, individualistic, and mysterious rather than sensible, communal, and joyous. So what I got wrong as a kid, what I got wrong in my childhood days is this, that being somber is not the same as being reverent. What I got wrong was in letting the elements pass by because of my weak faith when that was the very moment that I needed to partake of those elements. What I got wrong was not considering Jesus' own words to his disciples, which we have read tonight in our text, in which he says and declares to them, I have earnestly, earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. And so part of what I want to do tonight, this evening, is I want to speak to that childhood self. I want to speak to my childhood self, what I wish I would have known at that time. But more importantly, I also want to demonstrate here for us through this text that while our posture in taking the Lord's Supper should be one of reverence, it also ought to be one of great joy. It also ought to be an opportunity for us to gather together as a, as a community and as a congregation and spiritually sup with Christ. That is a joyous thing. It is a great privilege that we get to do. I want us to consider that though, yes, we are individuals taking in this meal, that we do so together, that we do so as the church of God, not only the local body here, but also in the greater communion of saints across the ages. And finally, then, I also want to reorient our perspectives to look again at how this great supper looks forward to the promises of the kingdom of God, which is yet to come. Because truthfully, I'm convinced of this, uh, we can never get enough of that wonderful vision at the end of this present age and the beginning of the new heavens and the new earth when we are there at the table with Christ, when all sorrow and sin has been wiped away and we are rejoicing at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's been such great teaching here in this church on the Lord's Supper. And I'm so grateful for these uh, evening services, the kind of simple pulled back services where we get to take this supper every week. And so what I want to do is just join in with that chorus of teaching that you've already uh, heard and received many times and remind us of what this meal signifies and what it points to. So to that end, we're going to look at two brief statements Uh, here, which Jesus makes in the institution of the Lord's Supper in our passage tonight. And one of these, of course, I've already mentioned. The first statement that we're going to look at is when Jesus says to his disciples, this is verse 15, he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. And the second statement that Jesus makes, which we're going to look at, is repeated twice, once with the bread and then also with the wine, when Jesus says, I will not eat of this bread or drink of this cup until the kingdom of God comes, or as you've often heard in Mark's account, I will not take of them again until I take of them anew in the kingdom of God. So let's look at this first statement together then. These words of Christ are fascinating to me, and they've been rolling around in my heart and mind for quite some time. Um, I had actually planned to uh, once having been ordained and being able to do the Lord's Supper for the first time, I was actually going to say something along these lines, but I just couldn't wait. I had to say it. So it's it's just been on my heart. And uh, I'm just fascinated by this statement over and over again when I come back to it to see that Jesus himself says, I have, to his disciples, he says, I have earnestly desired, I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. Now, our English translations are helping us out here. Uh, in the ESV, it's earnestly. 
uh, you might have the NIV or the NASB, and it will translate it eagerly. In the original Greek, it actually reads, with great desire, I have desired. Or, if you take the continuous sense of it, it would say, greatly desiring, I have desired. Now, that seems redundant and clunky to us in English, but it's actually a very specific construction. Jesus is saying something very specifically. You see, in Hebrew, if you wanted to, if you want to emphasize a particular emotion or sense of the words being spoken, you would use this kind of construction. And so what scholars and commentators see this as is a, a formula, a, a sentence construction that comes from uh, Hebrew, which Jesus is using. And what it does is it places a greater degree of emphasis upon the uh, emotion of the phrase. On top of this, the word itself for desire here, it's the Greek word epithumesa, is an intensified word that means to long for deeply. In fact, in negative circumstances and translations, it's also translated for uh, lust. And so the, the word itself communicates in a positive sense a very deep and great and positive longing. Here's my point. Jesus is essentially saying, in the most emphatic way that he can, I've been waiting so long to eat this Passover with you. At long last, we get to come to this table together. I've so been looking forward to this moment. Just stop and consider that for a moment. Right, it, gives a, it gives you a picture of Jesus throughout his entire ministry, of all the miracles that took place and all the, uh, the healings that were done, the marvelous things that he taught. In the midst of all that, Jesus was longing for, desiring for this meal with his disciples. He was with great desire, great longing, looking forward to this moment. And you can feel just the significance of it as Jesus sits down with his disciples You can also sense the great joy that Jesus had in getting to sup with his disciples and dear friends. I want you to to take a minute here and think of something that you've longed for or waited for, worked long, many hours for, right? When the moment finally comes, when the thing or event comes to fruition, it's sweet and joy-filled, isn't it? When something that you've been waiting for for a long time finally comes to fruition, it is a sweet moment. Maybe it was the moment you graduated from seminary after years of sacrifice and hard study. Maybe it was the moment your son or spouse came home from an overseas deployment. Maybe it was that trip of a lifetime that you saved nickels and dimes up to be able to go to. Maybe it was the play that you practiced for so many days and hours. Do you remember the joy that you had when you saw it all come together? Maybe it was watching your child walk on their own two legs for the first time. Maybe it was watching that same child on those same two legs go away to college. I want you to gather up those memories and those feelings for a minute. I want you to remember what it was like to long for something, to desire something for a long period of time. And then I want you to consider the joy that you had when that moment finally came. That is the joy with which Jesus approached the Lord's Supper That is the joy that Jesus had in sitting down to eat with his disciples. Something long anticipated, long promised, and now fulfilled. And why did Jesus desire, I mean, why was Jesus longing after this? Why did he so desire this meal? Because of what it signifies the work of salvation. 
the culmination of the mystery of the ages, which Jesus was about to fulfill in his death and resurrection, these simple elements that he was presenting point to that marvelous and wondrous reality. No wonder he was looking forward to giving them those simple but beautiful signs to say, this is why I'm here. It's incredible to consider the joy that Jesus had in light of the circumstances, right? Understand, we know what's about to take place. We know that this is right before Jesus will be arrested, tried and condemned, beaten in the courts and condemned to die on a cross. And yet the reality of this gruesome death that awaits Jesus, this doesn't take away from the significance of that night in the upper room. It doesn't take away from the joy. I mean, you notice that Jesus says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows what tremendous pain and suffering await him on the other side of this meal, and yet that doesn't take away from the fact that he says, I have greatly desired to eat this with you. It doesn't take away from the sweetness of that meal. And so I want to stop here and ask you something. I want to ask you, uh, of all the times that you've taken the Lord's Supper, the many times that you've partaken of these simple elements, have you ever stopped to consider these words of Christ? Do you long for the Lord's Supper? Do you greatly desire it? Is it something that you look forward to? Is it something that you long for? Ask yourself, if Jesus so desired this supper and to partake of this meal, if he longed for it, shouldn't we? And just as Christ desired to eat this meal with his disciples, so also does he desire to eat it with us anew in the kingdom which is yet to come. We ought to desire and long for this meal, I believe, as we imitate Christ in the exact same way that he did. I think this is what I was missing in my childhood understanding of what the Lord's Supper means. So rather than looking forward to it with great longing, I often dreaded it for the sense of kind of forced personal reflection in which I really didn't want to sit with myself and my sin. I didn't understand that Jesus, just as Jesus longed to sup with his disciples, so he longs to sup with me. Remember, you remember who's seated around the table with Jesus? Sinners and sufferers, liars and deceivers and deniers, cowards with weak faith like you and like me. Just like us. Remember that in a few short hours, everyone who would be partaking of this meal and sharing in this bread and this wine with Christ, everyone, everyone around that table would later abandon Jesus. The shepherd would be struck and the sheep would flee. Do you realize that the very hands of the one who would betray Jesus were on that same table, dipping into the same bowls that Christ was? And yet Jesus, knowing all of this, knowing who was around the table, knowing their sins and their secrets, he says, I have greatly desired to eat this meal with you. Maybe we need to do a better job of cultivating those words, with you. In spite of the utter sinfulness of those who sat around that table, Jesus could say, this is my great desire. That is patience and love to the max. 
mean, if you look at the passage which comes right after our text, you'll see that the disciples, they haven't even got up from the table yet. The disciples start to argue amongst themselves about who is to be regarded as the, just, who's to be regarded as the greatest. Just drop your eyes down and look briefly at verses 24 through 27 there. This is like your classic family dinner dispute, right? Everybody's talking over each other. They're vying for attention. Maybe bits of spaghetti and garlic bread flying through the air. The disciples cannot get through the whole dinner without their sinful pride and selfishness showing through. Rather than appreciating the precious significance of that meal and that time with Christ, rather than experience the same, experiencing the same kind of longing that, and desire which Jesus had, rather than taking from the example of their servant-hearted leader who washed their dirty feet before that meal. Rather than that, the disciples instead argue amongst themselves because they can't see past their own egos. And how familiar that sounds. How often sin stands in the way of the joy which is available to us and for us by communing with Christ. How often our minds and hearts are led astray into selfishness. How often we neglect to see and to hear and to receive the blessings of God because we're so focused on ourselves just like the disciples were. And yet, that did not change Christ's desire. Nor did it make void the significance of that meal. But in fact, that meal was exactly meant to point to the salvation which those sinners and sufferers desperately needed. Just as the seats of Christ's Passover table that night were filled with sinners, so today is Christ's table a place for sinners. Our sinfulness does not undo the efficacy of these elements. And it doesn't negate the invitation of Christ. No, it is actually, in fact, because we're sinners that Christ bids us come. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast and sure love for David. Those are words from the prophet Isaiah which are fulfilled in Christ as he bids us come to the table. If you ever find yourself in a similar place as I was in my childhood, if you ever feel unworthy of taking this meal... I want you to remember the words of Christ. I have earnestly desired to eat this meal with you. Your sinfulness does not nullify the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our sin, in fact, should not take us away from the supper. It should drive us to the supper. This is a table for the weak of heart and faith. This is a table for sinners who recognize that Christ is our only plea. And we come not by our own initiative... But as a response to the call of Christ, as the Spirit of God transforms us from within, so, so making us willing and able to partake of these elements by faith, we come not by our own right, but by Christ's merit. We come not because we are worthy, but because He is. We come not because we greatly desired, but because He did. And so I want to encourage you that when you are at your weakest and your weariest, 
when you are most burdened, then I want you to understand there's no better time to hear the precious invitation of Christ come to the table. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus stands ready to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Come, ye thirsty, come and welcome God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. The great longing of Christ's heart is that you would sit down at the table with him. And all the fitness that he requires, all that he requires is that you would feel your need of him. Sinner, arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace you in his arms. The second of the statements that Jesus makes here that I want to highlight broadens our focus and it lifts us up to the promises of heaven. You see, in one sense, the supper that we partake of here is a shadow of the supper which we're going to partake of there. This earthly reality which we now take of and proclaim, for us it both points back to Christ's death and resurrection, and it also looks forward to the promise of God which is yet to be fulfilled when Christ comes again. So we live, as has been said many times from this pulpit, in the already not yet of Christ's first coming, awaiting the fulfillment of his promise to come again. And the Lord's Supper maintains this distinction, right? Christ told us, do this in remembrance of me, for as often as you do it, you proclaim, you proclaim my work, you proclaim what I have done. Christ has come to give us this meal, not only to proclaim what he has done, but to proclaim what he will do. In Revelation 19, we're given a glimpse of this wondrous event which comes as the culmination of Christ's return as king, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amidst this wonderful and awe-inspiring symphony of praise and worship, there's this great refrain that rings out over top of everything else. John describes it as a voice of a great multitude ringing out like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us now rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. You can sense the anticipation and the longing now fulfilled. It is this momentous and heavenly reality which Jesus references here when he tells his disciples, I will not drink of this cup again. I will not take of this bread again until I do when the kingdom of God has come in its fullness. When we are in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, sitting at the king's table, partaking of the bread and the wine together. It's clear that Jesus has in mind the fulfillment of this promise as he references the coming kingdom of God in verses 16, 18, and then also later in verses 29 and 30. And so not only is Christ here at the eve of his crucifixion preparing his disciples for his death, but he's also preparing them for his ascension. Because here's the thing. The kingdom of God will not come 
until all those who must hear do hear. And so as Jesus ascends, he gives to those same disciples the great call to go to the nations and proclaim the wonderful bread and wine of the salvation of Christ. We have this great privilege now of proclaiming the message and the invitation, not simply to one another, but to the nations as we go in the power of his strength and spirit and we call the nations to come, come to the table. And is this incredible task that this meal is meant to strengthen us for while we are still between the already and the not yet. We're almost home, but we're not there yet. The task that remains unfinished for us is the continued proclamation of the gospel until all those who will be before the throne have heard the wondrous message of the gospel. And so we go proclaiming, come to the table and eat. Take of Christ. What's so wonderful to me about this simple meal is that it's so packed full of great significance and wonder. And not only that, but also because it strengthens us and encourages us. And so we're preparing to come to this supper. And I hope that you've been longing for it. And I hope that you are also longing for the supper which is yet to come. And I hope that you will be encouraged by the fact that by taking of this supper, you will be strengthened to endure, strengthened to proclaim until we finally reach that great supper. It will be a glorious feast. There will be a feast in the house of Zion. There we will sing together with our hearts restored. God has done great things. There the multitude of heaven will say together, there we will feast and weep no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have earnestly desired to commune with us. That though we are not worthy, though we are indeed sinners and sufferers, deceivers and liars and cowards, though our faith is weak, it is not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. We praise you, Lord, that you called us to yourself, that you invited us to come to the table, to come and buy without money because the cost was paid by the life of Jesus. Father, we ask that you would take these elements and strengthen us by them so that we might go out into the earth continuing to proclaim this great invitation, Lord, which is given for all people of all tribes and tongues. And Father, we ask that you would use us as members of your kingdom, preaching and proclaiming to draw people to yourself. We look forward to that great day, Lord, when we will be together in the realms of heaven, feasting in the house of Zion. Strengthen us until that end. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.